Good morning. So thankful you're here, and uh, what a great time of worship that we had. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 and also Acts chapter 1 as we continue on in our series this morning, and hopefully you're able to say hi to someone, maybe new, introduce yourself to someone. I'm going to encourage you on the way out of here, just so you, you can start to think about this, is to introduce yourself to someone as well, to say hi, because we are talking about the church this morning, and the church is people. The, the church is us together. And uh, so when I say the word church, what words come to mind? Go ahead and shout them out. Family. Body. Community. Building. Love. One more. Charlie. Joy. Awesome. Yes. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Now, I want you to think differently. Your neighbor, when your neighbor hears the word church, what does your neighbor think? Dysfunctional. Sunday only. Someone over here, what was it? Rules? Shaming, yep. Hypocrite? Judgmental, yeah, all these things, right? Yeah, I appreciate you saying this, because not only is it your neighbor, I'm guessing you have probably thought those things or think those things now, because there's this tension with the church of a place of joy, like Carly said, a place of family, a place of community, and then you also see hypocrisy, and you see judgment and shame and these different things, and and you're like, what do we do with this thing called church? How is the church intended to work? What is, what is it supposed to be? And we are going to do a, just a shallow dive into it here today because we just don't have the capacity to spend time on the full function of it. But I want you to start thinking about this. In light of our series that we've been walking through, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And so here, you are not your own. When you're part of the church, you're part of a body. Two weeks ago, I was a part of a retreat up north with some pastors. There's, there's about 12 of us together. And from a number of different states and a number of different denominations coming together. And it was to connect with one another, to rest, to refresh, to have some conversations over a number of different topics. And it was a great time. The first night we were there, all it was was a meal and a time to hang out together. And a lot of the conversation was around family. Now imagine if one of the pastors said, hey, Chris, hey, tell me about your family And what I would say was, well, on Thursday nights, we get together at six o'clock and we share a meal. We prepare the meal and then we sit down with that meal and we pray and we eat the food and we have some conversation, then we clean it up. That's that's my family. They look at me, like some of you are looking at me right now saying like, no, 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 no. Tell me about your family. But is this similar to what we say when we, Say, tell me about your church. Maybe someone has asked you about your church, and you're like, well, I go to Family Bible Church. It's on the corner of F Drive and 27. We meet at 10 o'clock here, and there's some music, and there's some prayer, and there's a sermon, and then we go home. Or maybe there's a different way to look at church. My church is made up of people of all different ages. There's people with all sorts of different jobs and backgrounds, People come from a number of different communities around the area. There's some longtime followers of Jesus. There's some new followers of Jesus. 
There's some people who are questioning this thing called faith and following Jesus, and that's okay. There's care for people who are walking through loss and broken relationships and death and life in general. Yeah, yeah, we meet on Sundays, but we also meet in homes during the week. We meet in restaurants. We serve the community by distributing food and clothing, and there's a group that makes... um, items for girls so they can go to school in Africa, and we have gatherings for our children, and um, our children connect, and our students connect, and our young adults connect in different environments, and we really are intentional about making a difference in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, and we share life with one another. And I think that second description is is much more intriguing than we meet at 10 o'clock on the corner of F Drive and 27. There's something compelling about that second description versus the first description, but yet we settle for, I go to Family Bible Church. As I mentioned, the series is called, You Are Not Your Own. And it's from what Paul said, do you not know that your bodies are the temples, the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so as the body made up of bodies that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the church. And we celebrate things and we grieve things and we walk through seasons of life together. And this morning, before I go any further, we need to, we need to pause because there's two different households that I want to pray over this morning and I invite you to pray over. I want to invite Rocky, Ray, and also uh, Luki to come forward, Lucas to come forward. Rocky and Lucas are going to be going to Uganda on Wednesday. They'll be spending a number of weeks there. Rocky's going to run a uh, um, substance abuse uh, retreat for teens and boys and men in Uganda. And so uh, we're going to be there doing that. So we want to pray for them. And then I also want to invite Jacob and uh, Jen, if you want to come as well. Uh, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, Jacob has grown up in the church here. And I mean, ever since younger, probably than Lucas, and has been a blessing to this church. And he was recently married to Jen, and uh, they have been living in Indiana. And how long is your drive to come up here? Hour and 15, hour, 20 minutes, has led worship with us in this last season. And they are going to be plugging into a church closer to home, investing there. And so we want to pray over the Smiths as well this morning as they step into this next season. And I just want to say thank you. Um, to the blessing you've been to this church. I found a picture of you in one of the musicals in the back hallway this week as I was walking through. You were little, uh, but uh, a great thing. So, so I invite you as uh, the church, as part of the church, that we would pray over uh, both these households. So let's join in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work that you're doing, not only here in this place, but uh, Lord, in Uganda, in Indiana. Lord, we thank you for these households represented, that we have an opportunity to pray over them. Lord Jesus, we pray over Rocky and Lucas. I thank you for the opportunity they have to travel to Africa this week. We pray blessing and protection and provision over them as they travel, as they serve. Uh, Jesus, your supernatural covering as Rocky engages in um, substance abuse recovery with these boys and teens and men. Lord, that there would be freedom that we sang about this morning that they would find in you, Jesus, and freedom from addiction, freedom from the things that control And so, Jesus, we pray your peace and blessing and wisdom and insight upon them, Lord, as they serve you. Jesus, may your spirit fill them in mighty, mighty ways. 
And so, Lord, we as a church, we once again have the privilege of sending them and praying for them. And, Lord Jesus, we commit to that in these coming weeks. And also, we want to pray for Jacob and Jen. We thank you for their marriage. We thank you for the work that you're doing in them and through them. Jesus, we thank you for the service that, that Jacob has poured out his love to children, to youth, to adults in his many years here, the blessing that he's been. We pray that you would use both of them in mighty ways in this next season of ministry in Indiana. Uh, Jesus, I pray, God, for their marriage as they build in this first year, that you would strengthen them, that they would lean on you, God, in those seasons of, of just low and the seasons of high as well. God, we pray for their health. We pray, God, for your continued miraculous work in them. And uh, Jesus, we do pray, God, for that full and complete healing. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for um, the opportunity we have to share in this time. Lord, we love you. And uh, God, we just we send as you have sent, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, thank you all. Appreciate me. Please pray, pray for them uh, this week. Yeah, absolutely. You can give them a round. Please cover them in prayer as you think of them in the number of weeks ahead of us here. So the church, uh, this is church, this is church, church outside these walls. We've walked through the narrative of scripture in six different movements. We're on our fifth movement. If you haven't been here, I'm going to do a very quick recap. And we have committed in six weeks to walk all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We are flying through this. The first movement we looked at was creation. We looked at how God took what was chaos and he formed, he created, he formed, and he brought order. And it was good, and then he says it was very good. And he invited Adam and Eve into this fellowship, humanity into this fellowship, but they rebelled against God. They rejected God. And so that second movement is the fall. This is where sin entered. But yet God still provided, and he promised to send a redeemer. The third movement we moved into was Israel. And we looked at how God entered a covenant with a man named Abram, who would later be known as Abraham, that the Lord would be faithful to him and the generations that followed. There was a promise of land, a promise of a nation, and there was a promise of God's presence. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob, and Jacob was renamed Israel. Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and we have the story of a people following God and a people rejecting God, a people following God, a people rejecting God. And we see their story, how they were captive in Egypt and God delivered, how God brought them into the promised land after a time of wandering, how a temple was built for the presence of the Lord, how God gave kings, even when God said, I'll be your king, and the people said, no, we want a human king, that God sent prophets to warn the people every time they walked away from him. Then we see how the tribes went into captivity, how the temple was destroyed, and eventually, in Ezra and Nehemiah, there was a rebuilding of the second temple. And there's a, a, a passage in there that talks about how there was a, a great cry that went forth of people rejoicing at the new temple, but also a great wailing because the people had experienced the first temple, and it was nothing like that. The Old Testament ends with a, a people still in flux with God of this turning of God, but yet a promise of a Messiah. And one of the prophets who wrote, wrote in Isaiah 52 wrote these words, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Look at your feet. Most people do not think feet are beautiful, myself included. 
But here in this passage, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring news, good news. Eventually, this Messiah would be the one bringing good news, but it is also the followers of Jesus that would bring this good news too. That is you if you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if you ever look at your feet and you're like, they're not beautiful, if you're carrying good news, they're beautiful. Scripture says it, all right? You can just claim that. But he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes, burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. There is this redemption, this saving that comes, this deliverance from sin, this promised Messiah that was to come. And so as the Old Testament closes, there's 400 years of silence, of people looking back at what the prophets taught, what God did, and then also this anticipation of what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. Last week, Nick talked about our fourth movement being Jesus, how God sent Jesus to give his life to serve and to give it as a ransom. And Jesus formed a new community. He brought disciples around him, 12, in fact. Don't miss the connection to the 12 tribes of Israel, this continuation of the story. And Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. He said that the kingdom was near, that he healed and he performed these miracles. And his teachings were good news, this gospel, this evangelon, this good, good news. And he asked through his proclamation of, do you believe this good news? This is the question that every person has had to answer, including us ever since. Do you believe the good news? Do you believe the reign of a new king, the Messiah? So Jesus, even after his death and his resurrection, he sends followers to spread the good news and to continue to give allegiance to him. He's invited people along the entire time. Think of Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel, Jesus and the disciples. And still today, the church. So where do we start the conversation with the church? Let's look at Matthew chapter 16 to start here today. Verse 13. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So once again, this question that you need to answer, I need to answer, the people around this sanctuary need to answer, people beyond these walls, who do you say the Messiah is? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I hear Jesus, he's building his church. He is the chief architect, he is the chief builder, and he invites us as laborers to come along. And I think of Psalm 127, where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, 
the builders labor in vain. So unless God is leading, unless God is planning, unless God is giving that vision in that direction, we just work in vain. And we spin and spin and spin and spin, and there's frustration. But it's so important to say, Jesus, what are you doing? God, where are you leading us? What is your Holy Spirit directing us as part of the church? And when Jesus said the word church, when this word is, is used, it's this uh, ecclesia. It is a called out assembly or congregation. So often what we think of is we think of a gathering or a building or being isolated from the world, pushing the world out there, and then we're just here safe, huddled, and, 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 and we, we just got to stay here. But it is a called out assembly. It is a called out congregation. It is a gathering, but a scattering at the same time. Think of what God told Adam and Eve. They said, be fruitful and multiply. And then ultimately they were in charge to go. Think of what God told Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply and go. Think of what the people before they built the Tower of Babel were called to do. They were called to go, and they stayed. They had a huddle. They're like, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's, let's just be here. Called to spread out over the earth, to go. Go to Uganda, to go to Indiana, to go to your neighborhood, to your school, to wherever you're going this afternoon. It's ascending. And notice here, when Jesus speaks of Hades, what physical image does he use when he speaks of Hades? Gates. Yeah, okay, so if you have a gate at your house, is that an offensive tool or a defensive tool? Defense, right? So often what we think about is we think of this offensive move of hell, this offensive move of the enemy. And don't, don't get me wrong, the enemy is tempting and trying to pull us away. But what Jesus is saying here, he's saying the gates of Hades will not overcome the movement of the church. That the church is to go. The church is to take on what hell has grabbed onto, what Hades has grabbed onto, because that will not overcome a church powered by the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts 1. Where does this power come from? Go over to Acts 1. All right, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke heard that. All right, so here we go. So Luke wrote this, and then in verse 1, chapter 1, he says, in my former book, what's Luke's former book? Gospel according to Luke, absolutely. Yeah, no trick question there. So his first writing is the gospel according to Luke, and then there's Acts, and this is important. He writes to Theophilus, this dignified figure, this uh, influential figure. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, let's not miss this. What Jesus began to do. So Jesus began a work and there is a continuation of this work. Verse two, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist was baptized, excuse me, for John's baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of heaven? So there's this kingdom mindset. There is this rule and reign mindset. They're thinking here and now, let's build this kingdom. And Jesus is saying it is far greater than anything you can possibly imagine. 
verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you will receive what? Oh, you said it like first service. And there's probably twice as many of you in here. Come on. Power. It's power, right? I don't yell very often in here. I said that at first service too. It is this dynamite type of power that God gives by his Holy Spirit. This power, this rich power that is indescribable. This is the power that you get sent out in to Jerusalem, not only here, but Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's an expanding geography, an expanding mission. It's like saying, your mission is not just here in this building, not just on the property, not just in Marshall, not just in Michigan, not just in the United States. It's to the ends of the earth. There's a responsibility as followers of Jesus not to just hide, but to go. Verse 9 says, after this, after he said this to him, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into the heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I love this question. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This is the question, right? If I was standing there, if you were standing there, you would be looking into the sky as well, right? Because you'd be like, Jesus was here, now he's there. I've not seen that before, right? But that question, that question was a loaded question. Because it wasn't just about like, why are you physically there? But rather, what are you going to do about it now? Are you just going to stand and just think about Jesus who was there and the promises and the spirit? Or are you going to do something about it? Jesus said to wait. He's giving you a gift. But you're to do something with this. We're not just to stare into the sky and wait. There's a power for followers of Jesus. But this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. When Abram, God, had the conversation. And God said this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. There is always a forward movement. There's always a, a direction that we are being called to as we follow the Spirit of God. There's always a leading. But yet as human beings, we're really comfortable. I'm really comfortable. Where I'm at, what's going on, I don't want to change. God is leading us forward. So Acts 2, look forward to this. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's presence, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, another scene where you're like, what is happening you're experiencing this for the first time. But I wonder, they thought back. When God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai and a sign of God's presence, in Exodus 19, verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in what? Fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain 
trembled violently. The presence of God there in smoke and fire. Or maybe they thought about the Israelites when they were in the desert and how God led them. Exodus 40 says this, verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. We have fire in the presence of God, fire in the presence of God. And here in this room where they're gathered, there's fire. This isolated fire has spread. The Spirit filling them, filling these followers of Jesus. Verse 3 says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire on each person. Personal, mini temples of God's presence. Again, go back to 1 Corinthians where we've been talking. Where we've been talking about you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Honor God with your bodies. What's that first verse say? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your temple, the Holy Spirit. This is a church. This is a gathering of God's people connecting the Spirit of God we see this early church meeting in homes and sharing life and meeting needs and encouraging one another. And it says daily people were being saved. Something different that was happening. There was a contrast society. There's a theologian named Stanley Harawas who talks about that we as followers of Jesus are called to be a contrast society. And what he means by that is, is that we look different, not because we're warring culture and yelling, reflecting culture in the ways of engaging in conversation. We're a contrast society that takes on the spirit of God, who God is, who Jesus is, that these things that we see in these early pages are happening in us and around us. The words that Elsie put up there earlier about the fruit of the spirit being born in us, love, joy, Peace. These are evidences of the Spirit of God in you and through you. We see in the New Testament this continuing narrative move forward, and the Apostle Paul is one who's changed by the Spirit of God, by Jesus himself, he helps build the church, and we see Paul travel. And what we have left in the New Testament are these different letters, many of them by Paul, the churches that he visited or wasn't able to visit. And we see his heart for the church. Jesus, that, that Paul spent about 30 years on mission, traveling up to, some scholars say, 10,000 miles. This is, L.A. to New York is about 2,500 miles. So he traveled, traversing the distance, like going across our country four different times. This is Paul. And Paul didn't just want converts. He wanted disciples. Paul didn't want people who just prayed a prayer and said, eh, I'm good. He wanted people who were transformed and converted into the way of Jesus. Not what I want, but what Jesus wants. In Colossians, Paul wrote, He is the one we proclaim, okay, yep, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. All wisdom. So that we may, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature. 
to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul's like, I'm laying it out there. Because I want others to be fully committed followers of Jesus. Fully mature. Not settling for like, I'm good here and here and here. Fully mature. Like I'm in. This development towards full maturity. We at the church, we talk about three different words of developing and serving and reaching. Developing into these fully mature followers of Jesus. Serving Christ as an act of worship. Singing is not the only way we worship. Worship is when you walk out these doors and everything you do out there. That's worship. That's your true act of worship. The first service, Nick uh, talked about a passage where, um, where it says, if you have something against someone, if you sin against someone or someone's sinned against you and you're coming to offer your gift at the altar, Scripture says, go and be reconciled. Go and make that right before you come and worship. This passage is, is amazing because essentially what it's saying is like, don't worship God until you've made things right with the people around you. That's how serious God is about unity, about reconciliation, about forgiveness. So serious. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, what's the church to do? What's the church to aim towards? It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do everything for everyone, right? No, not at all. The role of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to equip the people for works of service so that the body, Christ, may be built up with everyone who proclaims to know Jesus until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining in the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, there is so much in this passage that please go back and read this and study it this week. Saying we, we equip in order to attain this fullness, this maturity. And then the result is we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, this mature body of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We grow, we mature, being equipped. Unity, maturity, fullness of Christ, stability, discernment, a body of love that's active. This development is about ongoing formation through participation together. Yeah, I love the fact that you show up on Sunday. I love the fact that first service shows up on Sunday. And this is important, and we're called not to forsake the gathering together. But something I struggle with here is that you can come into this space with whatever you have going on, and you can walk out and not a single person knows what's going on. Do we love groups around here, community groups, classes, whatever it may be, because the real goal of those groups is for you to share what's going on in your world and you also to hear what's going on in other worlds. 
But I also give you a warning if you're in a group that you can sit in those groups and never share what's really going on. Never share the struggles you're going through, and you can put on a mask just like you do here. It's just a smaller environment. So this is the encouragement I'm giving to you, is that if you're not in a smaller environment, I encourage you to find a smaller environment. If you're in a smaller environment, that you would ask hard questions of each other. That you would say, what's really going on? Tell me what you're struggling with this week. Be honest with me. Every week, I have an accountability partner that we get together and we have a list of 10 questions that we answer. And it's all sorts of probing questions that are super uncomfortable. So we walk through these questions and we talk about them. And we pray for each other. And the last question is, have you been completely honest with me today? So you get that second gut check. I wonder what would happen is if you opened yourself up and you asked others to open themselves up. How your world would change, how your, their world would change, how the church would change. What if you asked those questions and what if you shared honestly? Maybe our development as a church is stunted because we're satisfied with where we're at and we're not really getting into the real deal. We develop, we have to develop towards maturity. And as a church, we're called to serve through worship too and glorifying him. Get back to that passage there about leaving your gift at the altar and being reconciled. Like we develop towards this wholeness in Christ so that we can really serve and act and live out worship. Ephesians 1, it says, we, God's called us to live for this praise of his glory. In 1 Peter 2, it says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our lives are to be a response to what Jesus has done. We're bought at a price. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we have the opportunity to worship, develop, and also to reach there are people around us that, that need the hope of Jesus. And as we grab onto Jesus more and more and we surrender more and more and we trust more and more and we worship more and more, there's a natural overflow that happens. It's not just a checkbox or something you do on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. It is life. It is a fullness who we are. It just came to mind is that in the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible is, is life. It is, it is a guide to life, this whole life. And we have Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is giving the opportunity of life, this fullness. Let us not just push the Spirit of God down. So as we start to wrap up here, Matthew 28, Jesus calls us as disciples to go out, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to obey. We first need to be those disciples. And to be the church, a lot of it to overflow. And as the church, when members join, when individuals join as members, many of you have stood up here. You've made three commitments. You've made a commitment to Christ. You've proclaimed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and that you're going to love him with all of who you are, not just 
the front you put on, but who you really are. This is really heart and action oriented. The second commitment is a commitment to Christian living. And this is following in the example that's been set for us by Jesus and that the Spirit sends us on. That we live this way of love as Jesus gave himself up, we do the same thing. And the third thing is a commitment of believers, really two other believers, is it's really about the health of the church. It's really about asking those questions again, having those conversations, being willing to be transparent. A commitment to Christ, a commitment to living for him, and a commitment to others. Because guess what? We're the plan that Jesus set forth. The spirit-empowered church. Jesus is the hope of the world. But we are to take that light into darkness. The message we find in the New Testament is really centered about the church and the church being an active community where followers of Jesus are together, they're also scattered about. Some of us have bought into this Western individualism ideal. LifeWay just released research saying that it's now 66% of people believe that it's okay um, to worship apart from some sort of gathering. And I'm not even saying a gathering in a church like this, some sort of gathering of other believers. It's this individualistic mindset, 66%. It's up from just three years ago where it was 58%. It is a growing trend where I don't need other followers of Jesus. I can do this on my own. Can you read the word on your own? Yes. Can you pray on your own? Yes. Can you worship on your own? Yes. Those are important. But you're limiting your growth. When other people speak into us or ask us questions, it forces growth sharpening, and maturity. We are intended to follow Jesus in community. And it has to be more than one hour a week or every other week or once a month, whatever it is for you. It's not intended to be an event we consume, but life we do together. I wonder for you, is church something that is passive or active? Think of it in two different ways. It's first the passive way. Is church kind of like a movie theater where you know the time, it happens, and so you show up, maybe you're a little early to get your favorite seat, or maybe you like to sneak in after things have started and just squeeze your way in. And what you do is you have your coffee or your snack or whatever it is, you're ready to you know, drink that coffee or eat the snack while you're here. And you come into the space and sometimes it's too cold or too hot and you talk about that. You listen to the worship and the teaching, and afterwards you make some comments about, hey, it could have been different here, or, man, that just sounded bad, or what was he saying about this? And even maybe you go leave a Google review on a church, which those are hilarious. I, I, I just find them entertaining that we, we do that. And maybe what you do is you leave during the credits, sneak out of here, and you wonder, man, I just don't know anyone here. This is a passive participation. Or what if it's a little more active? What if it's more like a stage production where everyone's welcome to participate? 
where there's some people who have, have the, the actors on stage, right? They have their parts. They're important. But guess what? So is the pit who's playing the music. And so are the people who are backstage, moving props around, moving the set around. So are the people who have ushered people in. So are people who are doing the tech. So are people who have committed to build the set ahead of time and have done that. Those who will clean up afterwards. Or there's a welcome. And I was thinking about that this week because this coming weekend at the high school, the middle school and high schoolers are performing Newsies. And a number of our families are involved, a number of our students are involved in it. And a number of the families have been there working on it. I've seen many of you there. And what I thought about is that, you know what, if, if I just showed up this coming weekend and watched the Newsies, it would be brilliant. It would be great. Thoroughly enjoy the music and the acting and just everything that went on. It would be wonderful. And I would go there, buy my ticket, sit, watch, and leave. But something that we, like many of the families here, do as well is get involved. And this coming weekend, not only will I enjoy what will be presented, I'll know that I've been a part in a small way of the team that made that happen. Which way do we see church? Is it passive like the movie theater? Or is it active like a stage production? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? I want to encourage us as the church, as the body, as individuals who follow Jesus with the Spirit of God in them, composing the church. What are we doing with that gifting that God has given to us? Is it passive or is it active? And I'm not even saying like volunteer somewhere. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a group that needs you that needs your honesty, your life experience, your encouragement, your challenge. There's a group that needs that. There's someone in that group or that gathering that needs to hear from you. Just like you need to hear from someone else. You need to open yourself. So maybe it is a volunteering somewhere, but that's not the point. It's about doing life together. Actively, as followers of Jesus. I encourage you. How are you to activate your faith starting today? How are you being formed as a follower of Jesus? How are you worshiping God when you walk out these doors? How are you sharing what Jesus did in the world around you? See, when we walk in this act of faith, we're joining in the mission of God that God began long ago. We're a continuation of the story. We are active participants in that story. It's a beautiful story that's unfolding around you and around me. Can't wait to see what God continues to do. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, with open hands, Jesus, I pray self here, and I pray for other followers of Jesus filled with your spirit compose part of the global church. Lord, that we would be moved by your spirit, that we would be active. Lord, that we would look around at the things we're already doing 
and join you in mission there. Jesus, in our homes, workplaces, our schools, lunch after this, wherever it may be. Jesus, that your spirit would bring about this love, this joy, this peace. God, that we would be a demonstration of your work. We scatter. And Jesus, in gatherings this week, the weeks to come, Lord, I pray that we would be an open people, an honest people with each other. Lord, a people that really believe that you do a work through your people. That the church matters, the people matter. And so, Jesus, I pray for breakthroughs this week. I pray for hope. I pray for um, but even a brokenness for those that need brokenness in areas. Yeah, I thank you that you are the one that really heals brings hope. Jesus, I pray for that person that may be here today that has never said yes to following you. Lord, that they, whether it be right now or this week, God, that they would confess their sin to you, that they would confess that they are a sinner. And Lord, they would put their faith in you as a follower of Jesus. That they would proclaim you as Lord they would proclaim you a savior. So Jesus, we love you. So grateful for this opportunity to gather. Lord, may your blessing go upon us as we scatter now. We pray this in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen.